0: with me. Uh, we're, we're doing our Bible Institute now on Wednesday nights. Uh, most of you know that, but if you don't, we have a Bible Institute, and you can uh, take classes with us and earn an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree if you would like. We have 104 courses available on our website. You can take them at your own pace. They're all free. There's no charge for any of that. That's something we offer as a church to, uh, well, now it's to the world because we have people all over the world that are students, and as of today, there were 670 students. So that number just continues to grow, which is fascinating. And uh, they're from all over the country and all over the world. So uh, be praying for them. And we sort of are teaching through some of the classes here just for you. You can just kind of hang out and be a part of them. Or if you wanted to go register online, you could and get them that way. But we go a lot slower here than you would probably go at your own pace. Uh, We're not in a big hurry. And we're doing a New Testament survey Right now, we just started a couple of weeks ago, and really we've been in introduction mode. Uh, a survey is a, is a type of course where pretty much it's up to the instructor to kind of pick out the stuff that he wants to talk about working through the New Testament. So uh, rather than it being, uh, which we've done before, a verse by verse sort of thing, we'll, we'll highlight some of the ideas uh, throughout some of the uh, New Testament as we move along. We'll still progress kind of book by book. Uh, and as I've encouraged you to, this would be a perfect time to read the New Testament. And it doesn't take long to read the New Testament. It's a really quick read, actually, uh, if you sit down and start to read it. But even if you read it five or six chapters a day, you would stay way ahead of me throughout this survey, and I would encourage you to do that in the process. And it's really good reading. Um, uh, It's it's enjoyable. It was on the... uh, So we took a couple weeks, you know, we were gone on a cruise, and I actually was just reading... um, books for the sake of reading some books. I don't do that very often. And I read four books on that cruise. So just kind of mystery little books. I haven't read like that in a long time. That was great. But uh, I still read the scripture and did all those things. And, and uh, I'd encourage you to do it. It's a great read. Just make sure you're in the habit. So we're um, sort of picking up. We we talked a little bit about before I left uh, Matthew and we set up some of the New Testament. And, uh, you know, we start with Matthew, obviously Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, Matthew, we sort of talked about the genealogies a little bit. And um, if we sort of pick up action today in Matthew chapter 3 and move forward from there, uh, we'll we'll get halfway through Matthew probably. Talk about some of the things that are going on. And I think in your notes there, I have Matthew 3, the first uh, four verses, because I wanted to introduce John the Baptist. So let's look at those verses, Matthew 3, 1 through 4. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for, um, for the Lord, make straight, pass for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So John the Baptist apparently was a bit of a character. Um, uh, just by the, the way that he was dressed. And uh, uh, he ate locusts and wild honey. So, um, and, but that's what he ate. And um, the verse that Matthew quotes there is from Isaiah 40, verse 3. I put it in there. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord make straight in the wilderness, a highway for our God. Um, Matthew was really good, as we said, about going back, picking up ideas out of the Old Testament, including them in his writings, so that people could begin to piece things together and see uh, how prophecy was being fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And uh, here we have John the Baptist uh, who, who comes onto the scene. Um, John the Baptist was, was uh, prophesied to make his arrival and begin to um, set things in motion for the coming Messiah, uh, and uh, declaring uh, things that he would do, uh, and an interesting story. And you should, if you get a chance, go back and read about you know John the Baptist and and uh, uh, how he was born. His birth is a fascinating story, uh, and we, we um, uh, he was the son of Zechariah who was a temple priest, and uh, his mother. Elizabeth was also Jesus' mother's cousin, so uh, uh, so Elizabeth and um, Mary were cousins, and there is some interaction between them that's fascinating when you when you go and look at the whole story and really the contrasts that were painted and, and uh, when the um, when Zechariah was told um, by the Lord in effect that he was going to have they were they were older in time and he didn't believe it and he was actually uh, uh, mute. From that point forward, he couldn't speak until after John the Baptist was born. Fascinating uh, sort of circumstances that happened. But um, John the Baptist comes into being. Uh, there's been a silence for about 400 years, um, prophetically, um, since the time of Malachi. About 400 years have lapsed, and John the Baptist is sort of the first prophetic voice since that time. And uh, he begins to speak into the process. He lived a very sort of rugged life in the mountainous area of Judea, which is between the city of Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. And Matthew told us he wore clothes uh, made out of camel's hair and leather, uh, had a leather belt around his waist, and very simple diet, locusts and wild honey. So uh, I, I don't know if that's that's what he said he ate. So three, three squares a day, I guess, you, you know. If you have plenty of locusts around and plenty of bees around, you got all you need. Apparently, so. um, So he, you know, he was very focused on his ministry, and what he did, and he had a very big impact in uh, preparing the way of the Lord. Then um, later on in Matthew three, we we see that, and the other verses I put there very important in Matthew three are the baptism of Jesus, uh, verses sixteen and seventeen. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and uh, lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, a couple things there. Um, Jesus was baptized. Uh, You know, John sort of argued with him for a little bit, because Jesus really didn't need to be baptized, because he'd never sinned. And baptism uh, was, for the Jews, a type of cleansing and purification but Jesus already was those things. But um, Jesus came, and he was going to be able to understand us, sympathize us, and show us the way. And so he was baptized on our behalf for that reason. Um, and it was important that he did. The, um, he had been, and sometimes people ask me, so we talked about baptism earlier. So we, uh, how, why we baptize the way we do. Uh, we take people out and we submerge them. We think that's, that's how we think it's supposed to be done. And we also, we wait until they're old enough to have made a decision to follow Christ. Now, there's, there's some leeway in that. So we, we generally don't baptize our babies. We dedicate our babies. Jesus was dedicated as a baby at the temple, and then he was baptized when he was uh, older, 30-ish. So uh, now, obviously for him, but that's a fairly good model, I think, for us to follow and why we do it the way we do it. Uh, we dedicate our babies. And then as they're older, we, we baptize them. Um, we do baptize some fairly young kids. If they can tell me that Jesus is their Lord, I will generally go ahead and baptize them um, because of the admonition where Jesus said, you know, suffer not the little children to come unto me. And I don't want to be somebody that's keeping a child away. So if If they're, you know, five-ish, six-ish, at some age where they seem to have at some level figured it out, we will generally baptize them. But um, we do uh, uh, baptize folks when they've made a decision to follow Christ, and we think it's very important and something that we were told to do. Well, Jesus was baptized, and so he models that. And then there's something else in that verse that's very important to see, uh, and it's one of the instances where you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all operating at the same time and at the same place because you have Jesus the Son there you have the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him so you have the Holy Spirit present and you have the voice of the Father saying this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased and and so uh, this is one of those pictures in the scripture of the Trinity Trinity is a term that you will hear as a believer It's something that we believe in you, you Uh, you won't see the word Trinity in the Bible. It's a word that we use to describe um, this perfect union of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. Now, it's a very... uh, (laughs) So it's very difficult to explain because our minds are finite. And, and so it's very difficult to understand, let alone explain. And, and it has to do with God being infinitely greater than we are. Uh, and so we, we can't fully understand Him, which frustrates us, because uh, culturally we want to be able to understand and know as much as we possibly can. But there there are some aspects of this we have to take by faith. But the Bible is very clear, even that word Trinity doesn't teach. It does. Uh, it's very clear that the Father is God, and that Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God. And the Bible also teaches very clearly there's only one God. So it's not three different gods. It's this idea of the Trinity. And um, uh, and, and so uh, th- this concept can be a little difficult to grasp. It's, the Trinity is, is one God existing in three persons. But that doesn't in any way uh, sort of suggest that there's three gods. And... Um, that's the term again trinities used to uh, an attempt to describe the triune god 3 coexistent, co co-eternal persons that make up god and, and um, we've we've uh, we've tried to come up with examples throughout history of uh, how to illustrate the trinity uh, and all of them fall short at some place um... so they're helpful but they're not for for instance uh... uh the, um, the egg, uh, it, you know, is, is, there's, the, there's the shell, there's the white, there's the yolk, and, and the, the people have tried to use that as an example, um, but uh, it doesn't quite work. The apple, you know, there's skin and flesh and seed, um, they're, they're all parts of the apple, not the apple itself, and, and see, the reason that falls apart is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not parts of God, each one of them is God. Um, water is a fairly good illustration, but it falls apart at some point too, because you know water exists as liquid and it exists as vapor and it exists as ice, and you have the same thing existing in different ways, but it still doesn 't give us the quite quite the picture of um, an infinite God, and so you have to take it in and hold on to it with with faith and understand that um some things are not completely possible for us to grasp because we're finite and God is not. Perhaps the best description of the Trinity is something called the Athanasian Creed. I wrote it in there because people always ask me how to spell it. I didn't write the whole creed in there because it's fairly long, but the Athanasian Creed. I think it's, it's probably the best description to help you sort of grasp the concept of Trinity that there is. I suggest that you read it. Um, and, and that you, you take it, because the other ones, if we're not careful, when we sort of extrapolate from them, we can we can get uh, into some uh, error that, that we want to stay away from. But uh, I'm going to read you part of it, not all of it, it's but it's not that long, but it's long enough. Uh, this is what it says. Whosoever wishes to be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Christian faith... Which faith, if anyone does not keep it whole and undefiled, without doubt he will perish everlastingly. And the Christian faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there's one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit." The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated and the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible and the Holy Spirit incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal and the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet they are not three eternals but one eternal. And also there are not three incomprehensibles nor three uncreated but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. So likewise the Father is almighty and the Son almighty and the Holy Spirit almighty and yet they are not three almighties but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, the Father is the Lord, the Son the Lord, and the Holy Spirit the Lord, and yet there are not three lords, but one Lord. So it goes on from there. But actually, when you think about how amazingly put together that is, uh, I think it's very, very helpful. But anyway, uh, something that you should sort of hang on to and understand, and there's there, there's uh, often discussion about that, but that's what's going on. Okay, so that's Trinity. Then Matthew 4 starts the wilderness temptation, and uh, the beginning of Matthew 4, Jesus uh, is being tempted by the evil one in in the desert uh, wilderness following a 40-day fast. So right after he's baptized, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit appear, and then the enemy... uh, has Jesus in the wilderness where he's tempting him for 40 days. Uh, Jesus was uh, clearly hungry. Um, The enemy tries to tempt him by telling him to turn stones into bread. But Jesus responds by quoting from Deuteronomy, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the enemy takes Jesus to the top of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, tells him to jump off. And and, uh, the enemy uh, quotes an Old Testament passage, uh, that says on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone and uh, so it, one of the fascinating things that happens at the temptation is uh, the evil one is quoting scripture that ought to wake you up a little bit the enemy knows the scripture he knows it well enough to twist it too which is why we have to know the scripture People, we have to know it we have an enemy who knows it and tries to use it against us we don't know what it says we can, be, we can be confused into maybe not doing the things that we should do. Because Jesus says, no, no, Deuteronomy says you should not put the Lord God to the test. Uh, so doing what the enemy was telling him would be a misuse of who he was and a violation of the mission that God had given him. And then the third temptation, uh, the enemy took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kings of the world in their glory, and said uh, he would give Jesus all the authority over all these kingdoms if Jesus would worship him. And Jesus refused, telling the enemy to be gone and said, uh, quotes Deuteronomy a third time, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the enemy left and the angels served him. So there's a whole lot of stuff going on in them temptations uh, and the process that you, you should be, uh, you know, when you read it, that you should think about. Um, I've often told you, and we'll say it again, that the enemy continues to use the same tricks that he's always used. Uh, and back in the garden when he went to tempt Adam and Eve where he was successful it was the lust of the eye the the lust of the flesh and the pride of life uh, were the things that were happening and he does that in this temptation too lust of the flesh lust of the eyes pride of life so he tries it on Jesus it doesn't work because Jesus knows the scripture but he tries the same things on us all the time lust of the flesh lust of the eyes pride of life just just so if you know that that's how the attacks are to come you should be a little more aware of it, but thats it'll come in one of those ways all the time. Some, you know, something, I've got to have that, or you'll see something and you it looks good and you, you, you want to go after those things, or the, the, your very pride sort of thing gets pushed around and you, all of a sudden you're doing things that you shouldn't do in the process. And as I said, very important that you see there that the enemy knows Scripture and um, why that makes it so important for us to know the Scripture as well. Then when you continue on in Matthew, you get to Matthew 5, and Matthew 5 begins the Sermon on the Mount, Um, perhaps the most famous sermon ever preached. It goes on for three chapters, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount because in Matthew 5, 1 and 2, uh, when Jesus uh, saw the crowds, He went on a mountainside and sat down, and His disciples came to Him and He began to teach them. So, uh, he goes up on a mountain, and he sits down and begins to teach his disciples, and there's this huge crowd there, and they can all hear him as well uh, in, on the mountainside. And uh, this, an amazing sermon uh, that he gives, and, you know, um, he he sort of, in this message, he turns everything upside down um, because of the... The way that they had been living, the the established religious community had lost the idea of the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God, and they turned everything into rule following, and Jesus is going to come and undo all of it, and he's going to say things like, you've heard it said this, but this is what I'm going to tell you that it's all about. And uh, in the Sermon on the Mount are the Beatitudes, Um, he's going to talk about lots of concepts for life. Uh, he's going to talk about how to pray and how to fast, our treasures in heaven, don't worry, don't judge, uh, ask, seek, knock, the narrow gate, The false prophets, wise builders, they're all in there. The sermon concludes in Matthew seven twenty eight and 29, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. When Jesus taught, people responded and they, their lives were changed. So it wasn't that they were just taking something in. It, things were actually being changed in them, and it changed the way that they lived. And and Jesus' words and teachings still have that power today to change lives completely. Um, you, you should go and read through that sermon, and you should spend time looking at the Beatitudes. Everybody should spend time reading the Beatitudes. They're Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Uh, we generally do a series on the Beatitudes every couple of years. I will get back to them um, and the the um the the Greek because they all start blessed are you and you, you probably know a lot of the beatitudes but the word blessed means you know it's a spiritual well being or or it could even be happy and then some of the things seem not to it doesn't make sense like uh, you know blessed are those who are poor and that doesn't make a lot of sense to us uh, but it's poor in spirit and, and that doesn't even sound right but he means something different than that and what that really looks like and and blessed are those that are hungry hunger for righteousness and blessed are the merciful all those things are important it's all a very important part of kingdom living and um, what that looks like in our lives so you take some time to read through the Beatitudes another very important part in the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer I would say most of you probably know that one already because even in uh, our culture it still gets uh, uh, used in a lot of different settings uh, I remember as a kid uh, in the in the '30s, you no, know, in the '70s, uh, in the '70s, that that on the radio there were songs that were all about the, you know, they and they were sort of popular songs, but they'd be singing the Lord's Prayer, and it wasn't, you know, Christian radio. I don't even think existed at that point in time, uh, uh, and and so I remember, you know, hearing the the Lord's Prayer in a lot of different avenues. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, most of you know, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, also that, so that's in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. The Lord's Prayer is also in Luke 11, uh, chapter 11. And uh, a lot of people know it by rote. By that I mean they can recite it, but it was a model prayer. And so uh, really to take it in at its depth and how amazing it was that Jesus was giving something they could remember, but was also a model for prayer. And, um, you know, I, I think if you don't know that, that this is a very powerful way to pray. You sort of begin with the prayer, you know, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that you would stop it there and take a moment or two, to realize the majesty of God, to thank Him for who He is, um, for acknowledging that He's God and that you are not, uh, and, um, you know, uh, just sort of a a time to... Uh, in the midst of your prayer to worship a little bit and to put things in perspective about who God is, how amazing it is that we have this opportunity and that he's our father and he's our king and that he loves us. And so you, you sort of get into the right frame of mind. The prayer continues, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're asking again that, that he would have his way, that it would be about him and not all about us. That, that He would take the throne of our hearts, that we wouldn't put ourselves there, and, and that um, He would have His way in, in our lives, and we would yield to that way, and the knowing that His way is better than our way, then you would resume the prayer, give us today our daily bread. I think it's a perfect uh, opportunity for us to ask for our needs and the needs of our friends and families and, and uh, to ask him to move into those things. I, I think that's a great sort of reminder there in the prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I, I, I talk often about the importance of keeping short accounts with God. Um, I, I like to pause there and think about things that I may have done that I shouldn't have done or uh, things that have been done against me. I, I, I think it's uh, a really good everyday process, if not more than every day but certainly every day um, some and um, it's, <laughs> this is an interesting thing because we're doing this on the weekends and we're, so, so the reality is in christ you're forgiven when you come to Christ I already told you this you're justified you are forgiven uh, so so why are we asking forgiveness but a lot of times when we're asking forgiveness it's so that we understand that we're forgiven it's not it's not as much of a thing where we have to, because we're forgiven in Christ. He's already paid for it at the cross. But it's so we sort of catch on to the idea that we're forgiven. And it's um, it's more of uh, going to God and and just knowing that, that He was right and that we were wrong and sort of yielding into that process so that He helps us over time to move through situations in our lives. Um Sometimes it's a process to overcome things in our lives, and and yet we got to know that we're loved through it and that He's with us and for us, and forgiveness is a huge part of us having a quality of life, but we've been forgiven at the cross, but it's applying it to our own lives. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Interesting prayer, uh, lead us not into temptation, but we just read in Matthew 3 that the the spirit was the one that led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the enemy. What's that all about? It needed to take place to put everything in its right spot. But Lord, you know, um, would you keep us from moving into directions that we shouldn't, and and then deliver us from evil? And I often say that it's a great place to put on the armor of God, and to you know just do those things. We've talked about that prayer often. How important it is that we start our days in in uh, in the armor. I still have a wristband, got my armor on, and uh, I really. I put that on after I prayed that prayer. You know, the that uh, you know the, the gird our loins with truth, and the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of peace, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, and the shield of faith. That were to pick those things up and be aware of it. So that's a big part of it. Matthew six thirty three. You've heard that verse. Have you been here for any length of time? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I say that because it's up on the wall, and that's been up there for. A very long time. It was one of the first things I had put it there uh, as I became senior pastor, and that would have been in 92, or 93. Been up on the wall a long time. Um, that's really a, a cornerstone of everything. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, then he takes care of everything else. It's about getting ourselves out of the center of the universe and getting him in the center and understanding that life is found with him at the center of the universe. And there's still lots of good stuff going on there, but. Um, I figured we'd sort of, we'd hit a full point around now. But I wanted to close with Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's an invitation by Jesus to us to come and to be yoked to him. And a yoke was a device that went between two oxen and uh, it yoked them together so they could share the load. And Jesus is offering to allow us to be yoked to him so that he, he can burden, share the, you know, the load of our burden. And he said, listen, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I'm not putting something hard on you. I'm, I'm helping you to let go of some stuff so that you can walk with me. So anyway, that's enough of that uh, for today. And if you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Uh, Come and visit us when you get a chance. We will see you soon. Bye.